Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Beloved in the Lord, let us draw near with a true heart and confess our sins unto God our Father, beseeching him, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to grant us forgiveness. Our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. O Almighty God, merciful Father, I, the poor miserable sinner, confess unto you all my sins and iniquities, with which I have repented you, and justly deserve your temporal and eternal punishment. But I am my heart sorry for them, and sincerely repent of them, and I pray that you of your boundless mercy, and for the sake of the holy, innocent, and bitter sufferings and death of your beloved Son, Jesus Christ, to be gracious and merciful to me, a poor sinful being. Upon this, your confession, I, by virtue of my office, as a called and ordained servant of the word, announce the grace of God unto all of you. And in the stead and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ, I therefore forgive you all of your sins. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Turn to me and be gracious to me. Give your strength to your servant and save the son of your maid servant. On the day I call you answer me, my strength of soul you increase. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies. You and your right hand delivers me. The Lord fulfill his purpose for me. Our steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit.
comfort. You always go before and follow after us. Grant that we may rejoice in your gracious presence and continually be given to all good works. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. The Old Testament reading appointed for the second Sunday after Pentecost is from the book of 1 Kings, the 17th chapter. After this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, he became ill. And his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. And she said to Elijah, What have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and cause the death of my son? And he said to her, Give me your son. And he took him from her arms and carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged and laid him on his own bed. And he cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord, my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah, and the life of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord is in your, mo in your mouth is truth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The epistle reading from the first chapter of St. Paul's letter to the churches of Galatia. For I would have you to know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and I tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born, and who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia, and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him fifteen days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. 
Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We stand in respect of Christ, of whom the Holy Gospel is read. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the seventh chapter. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bier, and the bearers stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up, and he began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all. And they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Together we confess our Christian faith in the words of the Nicene Creed. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, life of life, very God of very God, begotten not being, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us sin and for our salvation came down from heaven, and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary, and was made man, and was crucified also he suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again, according to the scriptures, and descended into heaven, and sits at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom will have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped. Glorified, who spoke by the prophets. I believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen.
grace and peace be yours from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. From the seventh chapter of St. Luke, as Jesus drew near to the gate of the town called Nain, behold, a man who had died was being carried out. And then Jesus came up and he touched the bier, and the bearers stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. Our text. Friends in Jesus Christ, no doubt you've heard of the Midas touch. A certain auto parts and service center has certainly capitalized on the phrase, but certainly didn't invent it. Midas, or King Midas, as he was known in ancient lore, one of the figures of ancient Greek mythology. King Midas, as the legend goes, once warmly received into his home a lost wanderer named Salinas, a man who'd been drinking and had wandered away from home drunk. For ten days and nights, Midas entertained Salinas with politeness, kindness, with hospitality. And then on the eleventh day, having recognized that wayward man, in fact, as the, the foster father of Dionysius, one of the, the gods of the Greek pantheon, Midas returned Salinas to Dionysius. In return, for the kindness and hospitality that Midas had shown to his, his foster father, Dionysius was pleased to grant Midas whatever it was that he wished. And what was the wish of Midas? It was that everything that he touched would turn to gold. And so it was granted, as the legend goes, the myth goes, the Midas touch. Suppose you could say, in a sense, our Lord Christ also had that Midas touch. But in truth, it was far more than the Midas touch. The legend of Midas goes south from there. It goes on to, to say that while Midas quite enjoyed his newly acquired gift initially, he soon found it to be a curse because everything that he touched turned into gold, including the food that he would eat and the, the drink that he would drink. And soon he became very displeased, and he despised that once precious touch and gold. The Lord's touch has no downside to it. His touch reversed the curse of sin that had arrested and that had claimed the vitality and the wellness and the health and the wholeness of so many. And the accounts of the gospel recount them for us. His touch dispensed for free what all of the gold of Midas never could have purchased. His touch is more than golden. It's life. And stop and think about it for just a moment. How much and how often Jesus had touched, physically had touched. Even in the surrounding verses and passages of our text today from St. Luke. Luke must have marveled. Maybe that's why he included so many accounts as a physician. Luke must have marveled at it. Because Luke tells us that while at Simon Peter's house in Capernaum, you remember the account, that while the sun was setting, all those who had any that were sick with various diseases, Luke writes, they brought them to him and he, he laid his hands on them. He touched them and they were healed. All of them healed. Or soon after that, when Jesus encountered a leper, Luke writes of, and the leper said to Jesus, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Luke reports that Jesus put his hand reached out his hand and he touched him 
And he said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy was gone. Again, physician Luke records a whole multitude sought to touch him. For power went out from him and he healed them all just as it did for the woman in the crowd. That woman with the 12-year hemorrhage who touched even the garment or rather the hem of his garment, even the outer fringe of his cloak, touched her and did more for her than 12 years of doctors and doctor's bills ever did. The golden life-giving touch of our Lord. Don't forget then the one in our text today. The touch of our Lord in the text today, that young man's mother indeed, she never would forget it. Scripture tells us that Jesus came near the gate of the city and behold, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother. Did she have other children? Perhaps. But other sons? No. No, in fact, the Greek text says, uses here specifically the phrase, the only begotten son of the mother. He would have been for her the one to provide for his mother. He would have been the one to give her security and standing in the community. But there he lies, dead. She lies in her grief. And sadly, of course, it's a grief that she was all too familiar with. Because as the text says, she was also a widow. That's why it was her son who would have given her her standing in the community, her her security in the community. But no, she was a widow. She'd gone through the death of a loved one before. She'd been in this funeral procession before. Once her husband, now her only son. And perhaps for her now it seemed that even the very name of her own town mocked her as she marched. Because it's supposed by some that the, that the word Nain, the name of this town, is a Hebrew word that means pleasant or delightful. Probably then because of the, the fresh water that sprung up there that gave life to all the fig trees and the olive trees that flourished around this town. How it must have seemed to mock her, the name of the town. The cruel irony of this life. Can you relate to her? I think the better question is exactly how do you relate to her? Because we all do. We're all part of life's funeral march, as it were. It's just that at different times we hold different places and different positions in the funeral procession. Maybe you perhaps have marched that march in the stead of, in the sandals of that mother, having to bury a child of yours, a son or a daughter. Maybe you felt what she's, she felt, a little less alive. As you accompanied the casket-born body of your dear one, Maybe a son or daughter. Maybe it was your spouse. Maybe you yourself know the widow's grief. Maybe you, like she, maybe you were helpless. Or in time, you will be helpless, perhaps, to prolong the life of your own son or daughter even an hour. Or maybe you felt the juggernaut of sin touch your life in another way. If not in the, in the coffin's finality, then 
uh, of death and certainly in all of the other eventualities of dying. In the daily aching and the swelling and the pain in your joints and the grinding in your tiring bones. Maybe you feel sin's relentless force and its effects in, in diminishing sight, diminishing hearing or mobility. Or perhaps it's in the, the sudden surprising sickness that's hard to diagnose in your family. Maybe it's, it's you. Or maybe you see sin's inevitable effects even in the lives of your own children or your grandchildren as perhaps just like that, that, that mother in name, you're helpless to look on and watch and you witness them contend with your children, your grandchildren, you witness them contend with and live with the same genetic challenges and susceptibilities that you inherited from your parents or from your grandparents and they from you or perhaps with very heavy heart you watch them deal with things that you never had to and so that you can't help them from experience but only can watch of course you relate of course you relate with the widow with the mother with her son in one respect or another who doesn't relate who can't relate to the widow to her son of of name to put it this way some caskets they're plush. Others are little more than pine boxes. But whether rich or poor, we fill them, don't we? Death makes no distinction. Some coffins are large, others large enough to bear only the little body of an infant boy or girl. But we, bear, we, we fill them, don't we? Young or old, we fill them. For we all, without a single exception, know and feel the unstoppable force of our sin in its deadly march through and over life, just as it marched through and over the lives of name. In that one way, that steady, that seemingly unalterable funeral procession. And you may wonder, where, Lord, where is that more than golden touch of yours for me and for mine? Because I need it and we need it just the same as she needed it. Well then come with me back to Nain. Come with me back to the town of Nain. To sin's propulsion, death's procession heading out of that town. Heading in one direction. But the Lord of life meets it head on going in the other direction. A cosmic collision. Your Lord meets it head on, going in the other direction, there in that intersection at Nain. All that we by nature are collides with all that He is. Human sadness colliding with heaven and hope. Death with life. Sin with the sin forgiver. The sin releaser. The sin undoer. The sermon text tells us that when the Lord saw her, he was moved by compassion. A word probably spoken of to you before. A particular word that's used in the Greek mostly of, of God. It's a gut-turning compassion. Moved to, by compassion to compassion. What does the Lord say in the text? He says to her, do not weep. Not to chide her for grieving. 
but to prepare her for what's to come. And then, physician Luke records that Jesus came up and he touched the coffin carriage, the bier, and then with his word, vocables of vitality, of life, with his word he touched that dead man to the core. And he said, let there be life. And there was life. Or rather more specifically, he said to him, young man, to you, in the Greek, it emphasizes the personal application because it moves it to the front of the sentence. He says, young man, to you, I say, arise. Not even death can resist the one who has mastery over it. Put yourself in their shoes. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if our Lord in his golden life dispensing touch intersected with your funeral march? Can you imagine his hand on the casket carriage or the urn? Can you imagine your loved one in the faith or one day you at his compulsive command sitting up Alive as life and speaking, as did the, the young, newly living man at name. Can you imagine it? You should. Can you relate? Well, with that young man, indeed, you will relate. But indeed, in one sense, and Scripture compels me to, to tell this to you in one sense, in an equally real sense, I tell you, all believers in Christ already do relate to that young man. You see, that intersection at Nain, it was a microcosm of the cataclysmic collision of Christ and our curse, sin's curse. And you see, in a matter of speaking, Christ already has collided with a coffin, a, a casket of yours, a spiritual coffin spiritual casket because scripture says that we were as dead as dead can be dead in trespasses and sin the Holy Spirit well could have used another word so think carefully on that word today dead in our trespasses and sin he if we were only wounded or deeply injured he would have used another word but he didn't dead picture it spiritually in the coffin as dead as the man at name was physically dead in his coffin dead we were in trespasses and in our sin and unless touched by the life-giving touch of Christ that's exactly how we would stay because as the soul goes so goes the body too and such are the wages of sin but Scripture goes on to say in that very verse, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, he became, he became the curse for us. That's also what Scripture says in Galatians. So write it on your hearts and scribe it indelibly in your minds. Christ has redeemed us, Scripture says, from the curse of the law, having become the curse for us. That's what your Lord was doing on the cross, your cross. That's what he was doing there. He died our death so that 
united to him, joined to him, we might then live his life. But remember again what Paul wrote, we were dead in trespasses, but he made us alive together with Christ. Can you relate? Absolutely, you can relate. And indeed, one sense already you can relate. So remember what the Lord said to you. He said to you in John's gospel account. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in me and in him who sent me has already possesses everlasting life and has already passed from death into spiritual life, eternal life, spiritually. So to you who believe in him, to your soul, Jesus has already said, I say to you, arise. And whether personally applied to you in his word through faith as you believe it, or his word drenched in baptismal water, his word still makes church sanctuaries and knaves into modern day names. Just like he will this morning here at our baptismal font. When little Nicholas to little Nicholas Stephen Parker later this morning at the second service, when he'll say to him in a matter of speaking, little boy, I say to you, arise. And those who would see it this morning, that's what they'll see. A veritable resurrection of the soul. A resurrection of the soul. And as goes the soul, so goes the body. But not quite yet. And that's the last thing to speak of here this morning. Not quite yet. You see, there at that life-changing intersection of Nain, the amount of time elapsed, I'd suppose, between Christ's words of encouragement and compassion to the mother and the time when her son was resurrected and he sat up in, in the casket. I would suppose that it probably wasn't more than a few seconds of time that elapsed. For you and me, it probably will, will be a bit longer than that, but no less certain than that. If that widow had known that in only a day or two, if, if she had known the day that her son had died, that in only a day's time or two days' time, that her son would sit up in his coffin and be returned to her, you can imagine how that would temper her grief. It's the same promise that tempers ours. It's the same resurrection reality that tempers life's disappointments and allows us to live this life of faith, to live it in joy, perpetual joy. Joy because we already live in that resurrection promise. Even before it's come to pass, we live knowing that we will be raised. You know the end of the story. You know that one day you too, one day you too, like that son at Nain, one day you too will rise up and you'll walk away from the casket. And it's knowing you'll be raised up again to life that gives us Christians the courage to lay our heads down in death when that day should come. It's been reported that after the Englishman Sir Walter Raleigh was put to death in the tower at Whitehall, 
that this poem was found in his Bible. He had written it the night before he was executed. This short poem goes like this. Even such is time that takes in trust our youth, our joys, our all we have, and pays us but with age and dust, who in the dark and silent grave, when we have wandered all our ways, shuts up the story of our days. But from this earth, this grave, this dust, my God shall raise me up, I trust. God grant us patience to endure what is yet now and the hope to expect in all confidence what is certainly to come. In Jesus' name, amen.
Holy Spirit, who intercedes for us, and in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we now make our petitions known unto God the Father. We pray for the church and for the world, for all in need. We pray. Lord God, though we deserve nothing, you kindly bestow upon us all that we need. Sustain us both in body and soul and grant us grateful hearts which are ever ready to offer you our thanks and praise and confess you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, throughout all the world. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. As through your prophets and apostles of old, like Elijah and St. Paul of our readings today, you caused your word to be declared and heard and believed by your people. And so grant us in our day that faith, that faith which gladly hears your word proclaimed. Through faithful pastors preserve your word and sacraments among us, that Christ and him crucified may be the heart and core of what we believe and teach and confess. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, Lord have mercy. Graciously receive Nicholas Stephen Parker into your kingdom this day, through his baptism into the death and resurrection of your son and preserve him in the faith as from as through parents and your church he learns of all that you have done to make and preserve him as your own let us pray to the lord lord have mercy O god of all creation you maintain civil order in our fallen world through governing authorities which you allow to exist grant them wisdom as they govern Bless especially the President and Congress and the courts of our land, that we may be governed wisely. Through our laws, defend the weakest among us, especially the unborn and the orphans and the aged who require the daily care and compassion of others. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Protect us from natural disasters as well as from all other calamities which threaten us. Especially do we pray for all who are attempting to contain the oil disaster now reaching our shores. Grant them success in their efforts of containment and cleanup and restore the water and the land. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Through the consistent enforcement of the laws of our land, grant us safe cities and towns and neighborhoods wherein active commerce may make for successful business, which provide employment to all who are able to work according to your will, that our economy would be strengthened. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For all those seeking employment, including the very good friend of Chris Stainer, who seeks it this week, that you may supply to them all that seek it, gainful employment that they would desire. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. O Lord of the family, receive our thanks for our homes and our spouses and children and parents, and bless each house with your holy presence and protection. Today especially, we rejoice with Dick and Sandy Herapath as they celebrate their 50th anniversary of marriage, as well as their daughter and son-in-law, Christy and Scott, who also celebrate an, an anniversary of marriage today. And we ask that you would continue to bless each couple's shared love for each other and faith in you with the joys of this life and that which is to come. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. We pray also for all who have or will be graduating from institutions of learning, especially for Christian Hamlin and Jessica Rodriguez, Julia Shedler, Matthew Stevens, Peter Stevens, and Michael Ubo, who graduate from high school, 
and Daniel Milton graduating from university education, that each may be led to the vocation in which he or she best can serve you and his fellow man. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. O Lord of health and healing, your word can miraculously change all things. Look with mercy on the sick and injured, including all among us who are weakened by sickness or disease or the ailments of aging. According to your holy will, grant healing and strength to all for whom we pray, but above all else, sustain their faith during this time of trial. Grant their families endurance and work your will through the physicians and nurses that serve them and the medications they receive. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. O Lord of life, your word can even raise the dead. Sustain and comfort those who mourn the death of loved ones, that they may find hope in the resurrection power of your Son, who by raising from death the sons of widows in times of old, gives us confidence that he shall also raise us all from the dead and restore the faithful to one another. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. We are not worthy, O Lord, to have you present among us, but you have promised not simply to hear us from afar, but to be with us in your very body and blood. Through this holy gift, forgive, strengthen, and prepare us in soul and body for our life in heaven and enable us to boldly and consistently confess Christ here on earth. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Into your hands, O Lord, we commend all for whom we pray, trusting in your mercy. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. The Lord be with you. should at all times and in all places give thanks to you, Holy Lord, Almighty Father, everlasting God, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who on this day overcame death and the grave, and by his glorious resurrection opened to us the way of everlasting life. Therefore, with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven, we laud and magnify your glorious name, evermore praising you and saying, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is my body, which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The peace of the Lord be with you always.
the Lord, for he is good. fountain and source of all goodness, who in loving kindness sent your only begotten Son into the flesh, we thank you that for his sake you have given us pardon and peace in this sacrament. We ask you not to forsake your children, but always to rule our hearts and minds by your Holy Spirit, that we may be enabled constantly to serve you. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. The Lord be with you. upon you and give you peace. Amen.